the pit <coughs> of despair in honor of dungeons and dragons honor among thieves and my own curiosity what's your favorite on-screen dungeon I'm Katie Rich, and I feel like this might be more of a cave than a dungeon, but uh, Ursula's lair and the Little Mermaid uh, with Flotsam and Jetsam. I mean, there's also like the like poor shriveled like uh, seaweed people who seem pretty sad, but I, I would mm. still rather be Ursula than uh, most other dungeon dwellers. What makes it a dungeon? Is there a definition I don't know. you're running with? I think, here? I think maybe I think maybe Dave is going to get into that in his answer. So you go. <laughs> I'm at Patches. I was going to go with the Rancor Pit in Return of the Jedi, which also made me wonder if that is technically a dungeon, but I feel like if you get dropped into it, it's a bit of a dungeon. But actually, I'm going to switch my answer last minute and say the dungeon from History of the World Part 1, the Spanish Inquisition segment. The Inquisition! <laughs> Let's begin. <laughs> They're all happy there. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, co-host of Trial by Content that this week did Best Dungeon and or Dragon what on screen. What the fuck? This is self-promotion? Yeah, I, I was really wondering about you just this throwing a plug in at the last minute. <laughs> I just, I, I really want to have the conversation. I want to start the conversation as many homes as possible this week as to what exactly a dungeon is. But uh, without getting too far into that right now, I'm going to go on this show with the National Institute of Mental Health's rat torture wing from the Secret of Nim that makes the super smart rats that are able to escape the National Institute of Mental Health's rat torture wing. Good for them. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 424.85. You heard it right. It's pandemic 164. We will get to our quarter quell. We promise. Our episodes um, are longer than pie. Uh, for, for now, it is the week of Wednesday, March 29th. That's the day that in 1959, Some Like It Hot premiered. Should pick that for a quarter quell someday, just as an excuse to talk just about so Some Like It Hot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's good movies to be discussed on this episode. Yes, not Teaser. on our future quarter quell, but um, uh, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, but right now, uh, David's still not back, so I'm going to ask Dave a question I already know the answer to. Do we have any reviews? We have no reviews. Oh, we have no. no emails. So you got to get on the podcast app uh, on Apple and uh, leave us a review if you live in the U.S. or do that foreign wise, and then send the review to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Because we have nothing, which means it's time for a mobile game punishment. Katie Rich has been playing Marvel Snap, but has hit a little bit of a snag. Katie, what happened to you this week? Um, I highly recommend if you're playing Marvel Snap to uh, sign in with one of your accounts. I think you have the option of Google or Facebook. <laughs> because if you get a new phone, which is what I did, you lose hey, congrats. everything. Oh. Uh, and yeah. I should have known better because the same thing happened to Matt Patches. And I was like, you fool. And then <laughs> the exact same thing happened to me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm starting all over again. I'm just uh, glad that you feel torn up about it. That means you started a Marvel-based uh, app I know. game that you didn't think you'd be interested in playing. You lost your data, and you're restarting it. You're actually that invested in Marvel Snap. It is, it is entertainment for you. What? Why do you like it? <laughs> really? I'm figuring it out. Like I don't care about like collecting anything, and I have a hard time really, keeping you don't track like of the like art, which. You don't like the variants. I don't care about that at all. Um, okay, okay. I and I have a hard time keeping track of like which card does what and like which one do I want in my hand and like the strategy. I don't think I'm doing great at, but I think it's more 
puzzly than I realized at first. Because as you get more cards, there's just more options of how you like which cards you have in which deck and how you can bind them to be more useful. And you kind of learned watching other people play and seeing like how they use them. Um, and I'm learning the names of Marvel characters. So now oh, really? I really know like who? Who, well, who's the most surprising Marvel uh, character you've it, uh, learned I don't know about who White, this game. I don't know who white tiger is, but, uh, her card, <laughs> but I like her card. Uh, yeah, her card is good. Uh, I don't know who Spectrum is, but um, she seems powerful because they have pictures so I can uh, <laughs> hmm? I don't know who Wolfsbane is and he's related to Wolverine. He looks like Wolverine. I want to say she, but yeah. Oh, that's a she? Also, Spectrum, you'll be getting her on screen in November's The Marvels. Uh, see? Wouldn't have known that either. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm having a good time. I don't know. It's funny that I still don't really know how to play other people. Have I not played long enough to be able to play other people? Because that seems like such an obvious fit for this game that you'd be able to. It's actually true. Because you got rebooted, I had this problem too. Right when they launched yeah. the face-off with friends, I didn't have that ability because you need to collect enough cards to be competitive with your friends. Ah, I see. And you won't be there for a little while. Unfortunately. Uh, I did it once with patches and we played the same deck and he beat me. That's the most that I've done. That's actually the most I've done people that well. I actually know. You really have to line up your time. You have to be around for it. You can't just like Yeah. I, mean, I guess the alternative is to what you I do mean, every other time you play Marvel Snap. Log on and face some random person with a wacko screen name and use emojis to point at each other like Spider-Man. Oh, I don't on, do on that. Some, do you do that? Am I supposed yeah, to talk I, to that oh, person? Definitely. I, I love mean, to you can taunt. if you want. Yeah. Oh, no, that makes you super annoying, I'm sure. But hey, I was on Sunday at like nine o'clock my time. I was like playing some Marvel Slap and I did briefly think about texting you patches and being like, you want to face off. But it's like 11 something on a mm. Sunday for you. And I was like, surely he has succession or some shit that he's doing. <laughs> no. But maybe I'll give it a try next Kidding time. Me? In the Succession premiere slot this week, I was watching DS9, baby. Let's go. Season hey. two. Wait, can I Odo, uh, Quark, use precious airtime to ask a question about Marvel Snap? I still don't understand. How do I earn yeah. gold? Where does that come from? Mm, it either comes from, from the free track on the season pass. Yeah. So as you get uh, points, they'll give you some free gold. Okay. Um, and <laughs> I think... I think that's the majority of it. Uh, you do also get gold, so you get your daily tasks, but then every yeah. week you have that bar across the top, and so after you finish five daily tasks, you get like a bonus chest. That'll also but have What do you want gold it. for? Because gold just buys you variants, which you don't, you're not invested in. Uh, damn well, but I do that so I can increase my collection level, and then I get different cards. That's yeah, what I care or about. Or you can keep the gold for the collector's tokens purchases in the store. It could really wire your uh, brain to wanting to keep play. I mean, I'm not spending money. Like that, I'm very... Have you guys spent money on it? Yes. I took, well, yes, like $20 on it for only two because seasons, I was excited right? to... Oh, I guess $30. <laughs> the cards in the art. I also feel like $10 is not that much when it comes to like every two months or something. $10 for me? For a special me present? That no one else in my family yeah. can enjoy? <laughs> Yeah, no. It's taking like, me back like, to my Magic the Gathering days. So I was just like, let's blow ten I like bucks spending on money on mana. I'm gonna get. Yeah, spending money on things that my family can't enjoy. I'm I'm good with that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to see uh, when David comes back, where he's at on the various mobile games, I, because I believe when he left, he had just gotten another uh, Galactic Legend in Star Wars: Galaxy of Heroes. Yeah, and... he was shaming us for pivoting to Marvel Snap and saying that he would never do it. And now, in the few times I've seen him surface on social media, he's just balking about uh, 
Marvel Snap and wanting people to show him their cards. And he's going to come back to this podcast and be like, have you guys heard of Marvel Snap? I'm, a, I'm at <laughs> level 1080. I mean, he is on paternity leave. And as we all know, oh, even when you oh uh, have a baby at home and you're busy, you have a lot of time for no, the, dumb, the best part about Marvel things Snap on your phone. Is you can hold your baby and play Marvel yep. Snap at the same time. <laughs> yep. No, it was two-handed mobile games. So you, don't you all have right. a baby who's old enough to try to grab your phone out of your hand by now, Patches? Yeah, so I have one hand to push him away and the other <laughs> hand to play Marvel Snap. <laughs> oh, my baby played Sunspot on turn five, you stupid baby. It's all about where I'm hiding my phone as I play with him. Mm-hmm. This, is the, mm-hmm. this is like 5 a.m. I'm talking about. This is an early wake-up situation where I'm half asleep. Yeah. me. I need to wake up by playing Marvel Snap. Anyway, what else do we you do? Use your time wisely by playing Marvel Snap. Oh, the last thing I'll say is that I've been playing it more uh, today. This is a very new thing, but I can't get Twitter to load on my phone because I don't remember the password. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have Twitter on my phone yet. Uh, so I'm playing more Marvel Snap. So I feel like that's kind of a win-win. See how that it, seems fine. See how Twitter's new updates as of today that have been announced by King Musk uh, make me think that it's going to get shittier faster again. But we'll see. Like I said, pick and shit. Anyway, if you would uh, like to hear about Marvel Snap some more, feel free to email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. We will do what you ask if uh. you send us an email. Oh, yeah. But we really would like to fill this segment with feedback from you, the listeners, and not necessarily talking about mobile games. So leave us a review on the iTunes podcast app or send us an email where I told you. Uh, otherwise, we're, it's going to be more of this, and it doesn't necessarily get more interesting, but I do have a very long rant about their second dinner's attempts to balance this game, saved for when I really need to annoy you. Uh, <laughs> it is funny that we're threatening them with uh, a topicless <laughs> rambling when we're so prone to that already. <laughs> exactly. Unlike the rest of the show, we'll just talk about whatever we want. <laughs> we'll even bring David back, and we'll ta- talk even more aimlessly. <laughs> I'm going to monologue for a little bit as best I can because uh, there's a movie that's out in theaters now. It's in limited release. I should look up like how close it is playing to anyone anywhere you might be. Uh, it's called A Thousand and One. It won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance this year, uh, a festival I experienced virtually um, and it did not manage to see there, um, but got to catch it because I interviewed Tiana Taylor, who is the star of it uh, on Little Gold Men, a podcast that uh, I guess I'm doing the shameless plugging now as well. Um, have either, how dare we plug on this unfunded podcast? Were either of you guys familiar with um Tiana Taylor? Does that name ring a bell to you at all? No, I was going to ask you why would what would I know her from? And the name sounds familiar. kind of a lot of stuff. So she got signed to a record label by Pharrell when she was 15 years old. She uh wow. was a chore- choreographer and singer for a long time. She kind of got signed to like a variety of record deals that she has. Uh, spoken out, you know, she has like uh, praise for Pharrell, but you know, has been more or less frank about being like, yeah, the record industry will try to make you do the one same thing over and over and over again. And, um, you know, get a little pigeonholed as a result. She choreographed uh, for Beyonce. She uh, worked with Kanye West for a long time. Um, I'm not, I, I don't think she currently is working with Kanye West as most people aren't. Um, she was in his video. Oh God, what was the name of the video? She's like stars like dancing in the, one of his, semi-recent videos from 2016 
Um, oh God, now I can find it. Um, if I scroll on Wikipedia as I keep talking, that's something everyone likes to hear. This is a very enjoyable podcast. I know. Fade is, (laughs) Fade is the video I'm trying to think of. Anyway, so she's done a lot of different things. She's acted some, she was in like a Medea movie. She was in Coming to America last year. Um, but this is kind of on a whole nother level. It's much more of like a, you know, you see an actress like deglam herself and turn into a real person like that model. But in this movie that is very thoughtful and emotional and will kind of surprise you in a lot of different ways. Like you meet her as this woman, Inez, who's been released from Rikers for, you know, some kind of petty level crime. And she reunites uh, with her son who is in the foster system since she's been in jail and then kind of on the spur on on an impulse uh, takes him from the hospital. He's been, he injured himself in his foster home. So he's in the hospital and she takes him from the hospital and doesn't inform the foster system and basically kidnaps him. Um, And then it follows them for two decades. Like the story evolves over the course of New York changing under Giuliani and Bloomberg. Um, You kind of watch her grow up a little bit. Like Inez is, um, Inez has alienated herself from her friends and family for good reason. You see her calling people and they're just like, no, you can't come stay with me. You've been a pain in the ass. You stole money from me whatever. Um, And it's not really apologetic about that part of her personality, but it kind of watches her grow up, but both for the sake of her son and for herself. Um, and Tiana Taylor like captures the like kind of like sassy, like spark club spark plug aspect of her personality. But then all of these quieter kind of growing up moments playing this woman from age like 22 to 36 or something like that. Um, it, it like it kind of wraps you in and it surprises you from scene to scene in terms of like the time jumps and where the characters are going. And her son, Terry kind of grows up into this fascinating character unto himself, like growing up in this pretty challenging circumstance with his single mom, but uh, really thriving as a student and kind of figuring out what his options are. Um, And mostly like it's a, it's a Sundance movie. I think some people have said it's over long, which I can't really argue with. Um, But I think a really good version of, what we mean when we say Sundance movie. And then again, Tiana Taylor, a performer her, like, even if you didn't know a ton about her, um, I think you'd want to see whatever she could do next. And when I interviewed her, she said this movie, even though it hasn't really opened yet, it's out on the 31st, um, has already opened a lot of doors for her. And I'm really excited. Like she's going to direct her first feature. She's been directing music videos over the course of her varied career. Um, And so I think she's someone to really watch and you can see this movie and really get in on the ground floor. What, uh, like what, what, he described it as a, a very Sundancey movie, which means so many different things now. And I feel like I the definition's changing uh, slightly as Sundance expands its horizons and becomes a bit more inclusive and, and finds films from different filmmakers and different walks of life. But uh, what, like, what is the, the style here? What is the tone? How do you think the movie is? I mean, it's got this like kind of the... this kind of drama would be told 10 years ago in a Sundance movie. It's got kind of the gritty realism thing going that so many Sundance movies do. Um, but it's not, you know, being like, let's look at how these poor people live and how they will survive. It, it takes them much more as human beings, which you wouldn't think would be a revelation. Um, I'm stealing this from the Variety review, I think. But when you first meet Inez, she's kind of, you know, wearing a tiny tank top and shorts and she's trying to promote her hairstyling business and she's yelling at people on the street. Um, but the camera films her in this way where she's kind of like heroically reentering her neighborhood. Like the, the filmmaking contributes to how you like learn to look past the outward appearance of a lot of these, of these characters and as in particular. Mm. And I think that is what makes it stand apart from like some of the like kitchen sink realism of a lot of Sundance movies you might be thinking of. Uh, my other thought here, 
yeah, I'm I'm excited to see it. We were talking about tr like trying to find it. Um, I'm happy to report like there are theaters in New Jersey play. <laughs> yeah, it's playing. It's um, playing near me as of this weekend. My my question is: Do you feel like this movie, um, like how does this movie find people? How does it make money? Is is the box office back? Know. Is like the limited? I, I I'm getting more invested in reading like deadline reports week to oh week boy. on the limited yeah. box office because Zach Braff put out a movie the the diametric opposite of what of uh, one thousand and one <laughs> I would imagine is Zach Braff's new movie a good person shot in my my town in um. In New Jersey here, uh, because Braff went to high school in this town, um, and Florence Pugh is in it, and it like kind of made money. I guess it almost made it made like eight hundred k in five hundred screens or something. I was like, wow, that's that's surprising. These movies are kind of making money, um, but then you keep going down the list. It's like, okay, this movie's opening in five screens. It's opening ten screens, maybe a hundred screens. I'm not sure how big a thousand one is right now, and I'm seems like it'll go up a little bit because even when i'm reading wikipedia it says focus is releasing it on the 31st which is not yet um even though yeah, it's technically out limited release or it, it no is, i think right? i know i no, i think it's not i think i was just getting my dates wrong uh it oh, is out on the 31st it's, a, it's about to come out okay yeah, yeah so it'll be interesting to watch like how will people show up for this movie um and have people shown up for limited release movies or are these movies i don't know Maybe they don't. Maybe people don't have to show up anymore, and they yeah, still do well. well. I don't. I, I don't think really the VOD calculation is, is the thing that we can't really see, and it's hard to know on something like this. And even on um, Tar, which was a focus feature, fo a focus features release, as is a thousand and one, and that movie went to VOD really quickly and had kind of an infamously unsuccessful box office run, but like got seen by a lot of people on VOD. I, I would imagine a thousand and one would do the same thing. You know, it's not quite on the same scale as tar. I think that Tiana Taylor deserves like awards conversation at the end of the year. Like the indie spirits wow. are kind of made for a performance like this um, and could absolutely hang in there. But I think it will just build very, very slowly over a long time. I think for her and for the director, um, I have looked, uh, if you're okay. Yeah. Um, for her and for the director, A.V. Rockwell, like it's already kind of a calling card for them. It's a Sundance award winning film. It's got this big distributor behind it. Um, and so if people discover it slowly on a movie like this that like doesn't cost a ton to make, like I think that's okay. I would like for it to be a like surprise box office hit, but I don't think that's required. Mm. I mean, is it the possible is it a possibility that with these uh, smaller limiteds that some of them could potentially have legs and platform out if they yeah. manage to do well enough. I mean, it's hard for, I, I can't think of a like character driven drama without like a hook to it like this, that has done that. And you guys can tell me if there's something I'm not thinking of. Like, I don't think the everything everywhere all at once path, it makes sense right. for a thousand and one. No, I, I, I guess I'm more wondering in response to like Patch's question, if it's like, is the box office back, but counter programming's gone. So mm. it's like, well, well, we we could you could have a number one like you know Creed three, Jodwick four, uh, but you're never gonna have a number one and a number two battling it out at like that hundred thousand point, and maybe it's the same for limited. Like every every week could be a kingmaker, but it's gonna be hard to get legs on any of these things. Guess we'll have to see. But I'm interested in seeing it. I thought I didn't know what this movie was, but once you described it, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, I've seen that trailer and I love that trailer. Yeah, it's I got really great music in it. That's another aspect of the filmmaking mm. that like feels like it kind of elevates it. Like it has this kind of 
not operatic, but like a big score that as it's kind of comes in the beginning and the end, you're just like, oh yes, I can kind of like feel the energy behind what I'm watching. Um, and you know, the spring specialty box office can be an interesting place. Like there's like showing up a movie that I think is great is out next week. Um, there's, you know, still some Oscar movies hanging in there. You know, showing people are up going to the, see this stuff. Michelle Williams, uh, uh, the Kelly Reichert movie. Yeah. I mean, movie. you guys, yeah, if you guys will let me, I'll talk about it. Um, next week. Um, there's good when, stuff out there. Like I, f- I feel like people no. are learning to look for what they want at the movies Sl- slowly, like step by step. <laughs> right. Again. Well, and these numbers are very encouraging that we didn't lose the type of theaters that were due limited runs uh, entirely Yeah, at the numbers that we possibly could have after the pandemic. I mean, everything so yeah, everywhere all at once made uh, almost half a million dollars at the box office last week. Yeah. It's, that's yep. uh, almost as much as the Zach Pratt movie or anything else uh, in limited release. That's pretty amazing. Uh, maybe, maybe I need to get my, get out to the landmark again. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean that movie has been that movie opened a year ago and has been yeah, available to watch at home. Yeah. W- one quick question for you, Katie. Having done more research and actually seen this movie, um, where where what's Av Rockwell's story like? Uh, it's her directorial debut. Her? No, I know. But I don't like, know. Where's she I don't from? know much what's about where she came from before this, actually. Um, it's Lena Waithe produced this movie through her, uh, Hillman grad, uh, films, uh, oh, cool. banner. So that's kind of an interesting use of, of Lena Waithe's, uh, star power, really. Uh, apparently she's from Queens and, uh, was hailed as a rising indie filmmaker by Entertainment Weekly. I'm reading on <laughs> I'm looking Google. at IndieWire's, uh, interview with her too. She has, it sounds like she Named is as a, one of Filmmaker Magazine's 25 new faces of independent films. <laughs> a classic, like, Sundance feature film lab graduate so i think she just really wanted to make a fucking movie and she made a movie so that's exciting yeah looking forward to it thousand and one 31st of march hopefully in a theater near you certainly in a theater near me patches and katie yeah that's a pretty good yeah between the three of us like that means it's not just a coastal thing at the very least yeah check it out Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I think I saw the worst movie I've ever seen uh, awesome. this weekend. Uh, well, I want to clarify that. I think I've seen the worst movie I've ever seen since I helped out with my high school's first annual film festival. First annual, of course, being a misnomer. It should have been inaugural, but we're idiots. So first annual film festival, uh, seeing the uh, what some people thought a movie constituted. Uh, you know, basically putting a camera on a tripod and doing sort of like a improv where one or two people play all the characters in a movie. Those were probably worse. But the actual movie that I saw was called Born to Raise Hell. It's a 2010 Steven Seagal movie. Wow. And I, I what had do you guys watch any Steven Seagal cinema post like 2006? I feel like we post were talking about uh, direct to DVD yeah. uh, movies of the modern era last week, and we were I lauding not some seen of any them, of them for sure. I don't yeah, know if there'd be Steven Seagal titles in the mix there. He's mostly so, are you gonna explain to, to Russia, us, right? Yes. Are you going to tell us about, uh, about why you watch this? Yeah, okay. so my friends uh, a couple of months ago started a monthly uh, Steven Seagal 
uh, sort of watching club because all of his he makes uh, you know millions of dollars apparently on his direct to DVD sales uh, and has and foregone theaters for over a decade. Um, and there are just so many of these movies and they, somebody had, one of my friends had read a piece online questioning, uh, it wasn't a piece, it was like a Reddit thread, which is like, are these money laundering? Like, these <laughs> can't be serious movies. Is, is he just laundering money through these movies? And so they, uh, put on one and watched it, uh, all as a group, uh, a time that I wasn't there and they decided this was ridiculous enough. And enough for streaming in places where you don't have to get Steven Seagal money that you could they would just do one a month. Uh, I managed to dodge uh, three months of this before I just happened to be hanging out with the guys on a random Saturday. Do your friends not value their time more than this? Uh, I, this is like whatever their equivalent is to Marvel Snap Time. I don't, I don't think they're <laughs> right. I don't think they're critically engaging with it before. Born to Raise, the reason we started watching Born to Raise Hell is we tired of playing uh, GoldenEye 64 on the Switch uh, N64 online, but with our three of us, we each had a pro controller, we did it split screen like the old school, it was fun. Anyway, <coughs> Born to Raise Hell <coughs> just has, uh, it's written, produced by Steven yeah, Seagal, directed by, by Seagal. some guy, wow. Wow. written okay. by Seagal, and it's the written by Seagal slash... Uh, the post-production on this film, which has complete nonsensical editing, and I believe they've dubbed Steven Seagal, either with Steven Seagal not giving a shit, which he does all the time, so that would make it the same, or somebody who could do a reasonable impression of Steven Seagal not giving a shit, because the voiceover voice and his actual voice are different, and his actual voice is not mixed the same as the voices of the people who are in the scene with him, so either they're only using his onset audio and then everybody else is dubbed or he's dubbed. It is mixed to shit. There's sometimes where Steven Seagal's voice has like an echo and character other characters don't. That's like the beginning of this being horrible. Uh, that I feel it, like we should, starts with, we should, I want to note, I want to note something quickly here. This, this movie was yeah. produced according to Wikipedia, which is always correct, but the production mm -hmm, company was mm -hmm. Voltage Pictures, which is... Pretty legit. Like they produced yeah, that's the like Hurt a Locker. Real... Yeah, they like produced the Hurt Locker, and then two years later, they produced Born to Raise Hell, written by Steven Seagal. What the fuck? Um, and they've done a lot of like real you gotta movies. Got to pay for the Hurt Locker, man. Yeah, very weird. Very I weird. mean, but it's also has it's also done by aptly named Steamroller Productions, I believe it is, which is the Steven Seagal uh, production company. Steamroller Productions, man. That's the one you got to keep your eye on. So in Born to Raise Hell, they are shooting in Romania because that's where they can afford to shoot. Sure. So Steven Seagal has written a plot where America has outsourced basically its war on drugs and created units of a task force uh, that is like the international drug something something. It's uh, referred to as the IDTF, which I only remember because one of my friends joked, Steven Seagal just put I'm down to fuck in the fucking movie uh, <laughs> but the IDTF uh, had, runs a American law style operation but in Bucharest where this movie is set so they're gonna fight the drug war apparently and they do this by performing raids and pulling over drug dealers with like a badge that says US on it 
just like international law is makes absolutely no sense in this movie. It's uh, just they wanted an American plot, but couldn't do it in America. Steven Seagal is uh, the third point in a triangle that includes two other villains. One is a Russian drug dealer who has a heart of gold, but is still a drug dealer uh, who has like a mansion. And uh, at the very top floor, he keeps his kid and his wife and they like learn classical music and how to draw and have a very sheltered lifestyle. You walk down two flights of stairs to the basement. That's where the scantily clad women are uh, breaking the powder into different size bags. Sure. I don't know if it's cocaine or heroin. It could be either one. Steven Seagal just wants you to know that it's drugs and drugs are bad. Uh, this uh, Russian oligarch man uh, makes a deal with a local gypsy. This is the script's words, not mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, who hates the young rich people of the city. So on, besides being an enforcer for his own drug operation and owning a club, he also does home invasions where he will m rob everybody, murder everybody, and rape the women. Mm. Uh, Wait, the gypsy yeah. does this? Yes. Okay. Because so... We have two crime lords. We have the big Russian <laughs> crime lord and we have the bad crime lord. Oh, because okay. as we know, or as we, we may not know, Steven Seagal, very pro-Russia person, uh, is there right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, so Russians in his movies tend to uh, be good, even if they're a little bad. Uh, and this is uh, no exception. So somehow Steven Seagal gets drug into this uh, battle between the... Um, Romani guy and the Russian oligarch. Uh, I don't know how because the script does not explain how. There's a moment where they're doing surveillance uh, on these two groups, but they're doing surveillance by just sitting in the back of a van. Like there's no recording equipment, there's no cameras. <laughs> and at one point, the you know some thugs walk up to the van, and Steven Seagal says like four times, like we're burned. And then gets out and slaps the teeth out of them. Like, literally, he will slap them mm. and they'll spit blood and teeth. Their teeth will be back next scene they're in. Uh -huh. But that's, you know, the action for this movie. Anyway, <laughs> it continues <laughs> in this manner. It is such an odd film. But what ends up happening at the end is uh, uh, the, the bad, bad guy, the uh, Romani gentleman decides that he's going to do a home invasion on the Russian gentleman, kills his wife, spares his child, thank God, uh, doesn't do any raping. So that's, that's a plus. Kills his yeah. wife, and the Russian officer, having recently been busted by Steven Seagal and let go for some reason, returns to the police station and is like, you cop, I want you and I to go rogue. You get to kill the lead bad guy, and I get to do whatever I want to his second in command. And Steven Seagal's like, fuck yeah, that's how we get things done. And so the end of this movie is sort of like the bad guy teams up with the cop to go after um, the other really bad guy, uh, which makes no sense. But my favorite part is the, the part where Steven Seagal is finally uh, put face to face almost with the big bad and the big bad shuts the door on him. Now, this door has no latch. Mm -hmm. The hinges are on the outside where Steven Seagal is. And so you think this would be an easy thing to like get around, to kick open, to break down. 
Steven Seagal's character's solution is to put shells in his shotgun and shoot around the door frame mm-hmm. to weaken the wall around the door so he could then kick in the entire door. That's what makes it cool, though. You gotta, I mean, you gotta yeah, shoot things sounds, that don't need shooting. That sounds cool on paper. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a 15-second sequence of Steven Seagal shooting, cocking, shooting, cocking as he goes all the way around <laughs> the door. And so that was probably the most entertaining uh, thing that happened. That's uh, what I was going to ask th- you. This does movie... This, does this, is this like a good, bad movie? I'm, I'm all for watching bad movies because they transcend and I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm maybe enjoying some of the action in a goofy way. Like, Katie, to your point, we were talking about direct-to-video action. That's, that's good, last week. Um, and those movies are out there because they, they cast real martial artists and pull back the camera and, like, let you watch stunt work and fight choreography by professionals. And Seagal kind of was that at some point in his career. He definitely was a martial artist. He definitely was in mainstream action movies that were about him looking cool and blowing shit up. He was, he's 70 now. He would have been like 60 something when he made this movie. Does he mm-hmm. like pack it in any way? Is this, is the, is the action entertaining or is this movie's only joy in being bad? I, I, it doesn't even sound like a good, bad movie. I don't know. And yeah, that doesn't sound like, any, it doesn't sound like a lot of joy to go around. It doesn't sound no, like No, I think fun. it's just a bad, bad movie. The most fun you have with this movie is trying to picture somebody making these decisions and being like, that was good enough. There's, <laughs> uh, they, the most of the time, uh, when they can, they have a gunfire off screen. So, you know, somebody points in a direction, but the muzzle's off screen. So you don't have to do digital muzzle flash. You don't have to do blanks. You could just airsoft your way through a whole scene. They do give him blanks for some scenes. And there's one scene where Steven Seagal is firing blanks out of his pistol and he is closing his eyes each time he fires. That's in the movie. Uh, <laughs> it, there's a scene where he discharges his shotgun directly into the floor uh, then points it at a bad guy, but not like in a cool threatening way, just like it's he pulled the trigger while he was focusing the gun. That's in the movie. Uh, but it, it's really just a good example of what not to make a movie. There's a lot of freeze frames and uh, sort of stud- that stutter motion filter that, you know, real movies used in the 90s, but now we don't use anymore. Uh, there's lots of that. Uh, there's lots of shots that uh, don't convey where people are or why people are doing things. It's, I think if you want to enjoy this movie, it's not necessarily something you should watch, but go onto YouTube and find one of the many videos of people roasting this movie. Uh, like I just did. I think the reaction to it, uh, is more fun than the movie itself. But yeah, in terms of like redeeming qualities, that's what makes me, return i guess to the beginning prompting question of my friend's film festival which is like is is this just money laundering Mm. because it could be like (laughs) this could cost as much as skinamarink actually for all i know (laughs) it doesn't look like it costs that much more than fifteen thousand dollars they have cars uh and they have some stunts involving cars and they managed to get two bmws but whether because of uh the b the order they filmed things or how many takes they did all the BMWs have cracks in their windshield the first time we see them. <laughs> <laughs> and it just goes unmentioned. But That's it's like this, it's too. just, it's, it's an odd production. Uh, if you could, I think you could stream it on Amazon for free. That's how we watched Good. it. So don't, but if you want to, you will see in the first 
this movie starts with a flashback to the end and then does like, I bet you wonder how I got here oh, sort yeah. of voiceover. I do wonder. Oh, so boy, no. If you want to watch the first seven minutes, uh, I guarantee you it doesn't get any better. Like the most, I think the most fun I had with this movie is during one of the early raids, a guy is doing drugs on his uh, couch and then Steven Seagal and the I down to fuck uh, group bursts into the room. He runs into the kitchen gets on a motorcycle, starts the motorcycle to drive out a window, but Steven Seagal grabs the guy, pulls him off back into the kitchen, and the motorcycle just goes flying out the window onto the street. Why was his escape vehicle funny. in his kitchen? Nobody... <laughs> it's just... Faster it's not brought up. It's just... Tr it's treated like a thing that just happened, and uh, just so many of this movie's plot points. You, know, you never seen that happen before? Where else? So many in this be? movie's plot points are just, uh, just I don't understand what it is. Anyway, I might try again to what? see. It's if the worst movie you've ever I, seen. Dave, so what you gonna watch try, this movie again, again or a different Steven Seagal? I don't know. I might try a different Steven Seagal movie again if I'm around the dudes next month uh, when they try again because I want to know if I if I tapped into the worst one because mm. it's definitely just because it's the worst movie I've ever seen doesn't mean it's the worst Steven Seagal movie. Sure. So if there is a worst movie out there, I would like to try to brave it. What's the difference between that and the time I went and saw the uncut version of a Serbian film? Nothing really. You're jumping off a cliff in both situations. Uh, but yeah, born to raise hell fucking crazy. Worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, until I see the next one, I guess. You are my friend who willingly submits themselves to these things, uh, and I never will. So I appreciate uh, you reporting back from the from the brink. <laughs> yeah, watch some Portnoy's Hell clips uh, sometime if you're curious. But if not, avoid it like the plague. Yeah. All right, to uh, put a put a button on our conversation from last week, where we were talking about the John Wick films. Let's let's wrap up the night by talking about John Wick Chapter Four. First question, Katie, what did your uh, son think of this movie? <laughs> yeah, uh, we went and saw that as a double feature with Shazam, uh, and uh, you know he found Shazam scarier. Shazam Two, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I have not. As we discussed, I saw my first John Wick last week. I have not made it. To John Wick 4. Why was John Wick 3 a pair, like, colon, parabellum, and now we're back to just numbers? I think they were trying of, something out that, that didn't quite stick. Parabellum. Yeah. He does say parabellum in the movie, uh, but I'm not yes, sure it's why. it's Latin for prepare for war. Really? Uh, they don't have a good word. That. There aren't a lot of words in John Wick Chapter 4. Light on dialogue, despite being nearly three hours. I think Variety was just trying to sensationalize the fact that uh, Keanu Reeves has like a hundred lines or something in the, in the movie total, or I, I forget the stat. I could be more responsible and look it up, but they were sensationalizing that he has very little dialogue in the movie. But you know what? I understand why, because there's, well, two reasons. Here's my theory. Uh, one, practical. There's not a lot to say at this point in the story. I've had multiple people... He doesn't after, say much in John Wick them, 1. Well, after, like, okay, so let's walk through this for a second. John Wick 1, he's getting revenge for the death of his dog, right? Um, yeah. And yes. then John Wick 2, uh, 
he he keeps is getting the DLC to John Wick one. He keeps getting revenge. What does DLC it, like, mean? Yeah, oh boy, Jesus! Oh, downloadable content. So like, uh, you'll release a video game, and then you'll release like a half sequel as an add-on to the video yeah, game. There's an okay. explanation here. Uh, okay, Inception, come back up. Uh, John Wick two. He kills someone in the Continental, so he's now created a new problem for himself. Right? He's he's excommunicado by the end of John Wick two. Uh, and, yes. and then John Wick three is just the the high table or whatnot needs to kill him. Uh, oh, actually, I think John Wick two he owes somebody else after his dog plot. He gets caught up in like you still owe me a life and your debt, and then he doesn't want to do it and excommunicado. John Wick three he's just being chased by the high table, and mm-hmm. and the and the assassin organization wants him dead. John Wick Chapter 4, pretty sure we're still at the kind of same place. He's just trying to now exact revenge against the high table. Uh, it has nothing to do with his dog, as many people joke. It, it has, it's like the ripple effect of getting moved revenge on from the dog. for his dog. But at this point, he just wants to be a free man not being hunted for like two seconds. Because everywhere he goes, mayhem follows, as the beginning of this plot explains. He goes to Osaka... To another version of the Continental, and now all the high table assassins are, are following there and destroying things, and everything in his wake is being destroyed. So he needs to put an end to the Marquis, played by Bill Skarsgård, in a that guy, yeah. not quite God, Pennywise level creep. Everywhere, holy he cow! Is everywhere. He is. Is he just like hotness. the most employed man? Was he in something um, else this year? He was in uh, the horror movie from last year. Oh, he's in um, the uh, 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 Barbarian. Uh, Barbarian. That might be what I'm thinking of. Um, that dude just works. Wait, this is this is my very long winded explanation for why there's not much dialogue in John Wick Four <laughs> because he's on the run and everyone else is talking about how wherever John Wick goes, shit goes down. And he keeps getting attacked and running away and getting attacked and running away and getting attacked and then holding up his uh, suit jacket, which in this movie, (laughs) I understand that they have like bulletproof suits in this world. This movie, much more aware of that fact. They're constantly holding up their jacket and running for cover. Like it's back and forth and back and forth. There's a very strange choreography in this movie at times. But um, he doesn't have much dialogue. But I also have to imagine... With this many fight sequences, why you? There's no time to remember lines. He, I, it's unreal how much they must have choreographed and staged and executed. In, in even compared to three, which is just nonstop action for the very beginning, this doesn't have quite that same like rigorous pace. Uh, and that's why it's three hours because it probably still has just as much fight as just as many fight sequences, except now padded by unnecessary dialogue between characters who are not that important. Um, but man, there must be so much to remember and so much to like dance choreography, essentially why you don't have to spend time remembering lines. Keanu just has to remember moves. So I get why he wouldn't want to talk a lot, but Dave, I don't know, man, this movie is not it. This movie is not it for me. Oh man. And I rewatched three beforehand because three was like underwhelming for me in the theater, even though it's just like all action. Which I can appreciate. Yeah. Just like give me the, the good horses stuff. say, "How dare you, sir?" Just all give me all the the choreography. But this movie, I I it run me down. It run me down. It got. Mm. I thought it. I was extremely fatigued 
by the end. I did not think that the action was that impressive. I thought it was repetitive. And oh. the story doesn't really go anywhere. I found myself, and maybe we should talk about the ending in a kind of spoiler section, but I don't know. I, I, I was amazed. I should flag, like, I went on Letterboxd after seeing this movie. Everyone loves it. People like five stars, yeah. masterpiece. Big, big hit. Big hit. Yep. I mean, big hit at the theaters too. Like this movie scored mm-hmm. 70 million, $75 million or something. This is this is a big, big hit. And and one of the rare uh forequels to actually grow. Like the series is getting bigger. Um yeah. so we'll see how John Wick 5 it's manifests. Like Fast itself. and Furious level at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And but like ran out of juice on on this one. I was shocked how much I really didn't. I mean, I was into it enough. It's this one is like so a two and a half stars passes. for me, but oh man, okay. Yeah, so you loved here's, it. So go off. Here, here's my counter. Here's my counterpoint. John Wick Chapter Four is actually the second John Wick movie. The first three John Wick movies are all telling the same story, where this guy comes out of retirement to avenge his dog and just keeps falling deeper into the shit. We don't have to deal with that anymore. We start off, and the first couple of times somebody asks John Wick what the fuck he's doing, he's like, "I'm gonna kill them all." So this is. John Wick, um, uh, just we don't even have to really focus on the dog. It's not so much about revenge as much as you think it's about. It's about who John Wick is. So all those character beats, uh, the dialogue and the new characters that we meet in between the action sequences. This is actually the first one where they're all, with the exception of the Marquise, I think, uh, they're all uh, reflections of John Wick. This is a John Wick character study, finally. Instead of being like the weird boogeyman, we meet uh, assassins he used to be friends with that didn't get out the way he did. We meet uh, Donnie Clancy Yen Brown as Kane. Play- Let's not overlook Kane, Kane the blind high table assassin. Yeah, Donnie Yen is great he's, in this. He is pretty good. Uh, we have Clance- Clancy Brown, who's another character who works for the high table, but he's also missing his ring finger like John Wick what uh, is because he cut it off in chapter three so that's an example of what if John Wick had given in to the actual table and then of course we have returning characters uh, that end up uh, getting they, they blow up the New York Continental so we have some friends uh, joining John Wick as he battles against the high table and once again rules and consequences which seems to be the through line of uh, every John Wick after the first one uh, comes to bear here. The reason I like this movie is it's doing great action sequences with those scenes in between, but it's also kind of Quentin Tarantino-esque in how much fun it's having uh, referencing other movies or other mediums even uh, while it's going through it. It starts off with a Lawrence of Arabia homage, but it's like done so obviously that it's like a rip where... Uh, Lawrence Fishburne blows out a match and it hard cuts to the sun rising over the desert. <laughs> so I was like, oh shit, like I know that. Uh, there's Kane, which is not only Kane and Abel, but also the name, I think it was like uh, Wes Kane of the bad guy in High Noon who was chasing uh, the guy down. And we sort of a reflection of that. No, I think the, end of this the movie. good guy is named Kane in High Noon. Looking oh, at, not the one who was like going after. And I think well, I'm looking this up. Uh, yeah, Marshall Will Kane is the is the good guy. Yeah. There we go. Never mind. Uh, so, but I'll I'll stick How with about Kane, Citizen the Kane. Thing. How about that? Oh yeah. Uh, I don't think there's anything necessarily Citizen Kane directly in this, but there <laughs> is a lot of Kane. Dean Kane. <laughs> Candy Kane. <laughs> there's a lot of westerns in it. Uh, the 
last one of the last set pieces is just doing the warriors in paris um right down to the disc jockey who is seen only by the lips uh directing assassins uh to where they need to go and i think the benefit that this movie has uh building off of uh something like chapter three parabellum is we are not in the real world anymore I don't know if we were in the first John Wick movie or not, but in this world, everybody is an assassin. The homeless people are secret assassins. The people who are dancing at the club might be assassins, but they certainly don't care if people are getting murdered with axes during their club dancing. So, and as Patches was mentioning, everybody has like armor and bulletproof suits. So the gun kata isn't always just to kill. It does have to end in headshots because that's the John Wick way. But this movie has more than others of um, shooting like to distract. So if you have two people pretty early on fighting in the Osaka Continental um, and they both have bulletproof suits on, they'll shoot each other up and down the suits to sort of push them back. (laughs) Uh, So they've figured out a way to sort of make gun violence more video gamey in some sort of way and less consequential. Um, well, which I they, think he is still grabs something... them by the head and then shoots them multiple times and blood splatters everywhere. So uh, it still feels pretty gnarly uh, by the by the finishing. Yeah, move. but there's like there's also like less blood with the gun things than there are with the knives this time. Uh, there's a the they realized how good the dogs worked in Parabello, and there's a whole character that just has a dog this time. Uh, they've sort of like took everything that was in the previous three John Wick movies and at least did some sort of riff on it. He gets another sequence in a horse this time, this time in the desert. Uh, in John Wick 2, he sort of uses a car to fight people, and this time they elevate it to the roundabout among the Arc de Triomphe and uh, Parabellum. No, it was 2 that gave him sort of the high-impact shotgun uh, underneath Paris. And uh, this time, the high-impact shotgun has been upgraded, so it has, like, fire burst rounds uh, that is used in a sequence that is entirely shot, enter-the-void-style, top-down, as he's wow. fighting through rooms and shooting through. shooting through. I-, I mean, I think these are all references that Chad Zelensky, the director, would point out are important. The over-the-head uh, the sequence I- is 100% video game-inspired. He, we talked to Chad a little about on at a polygon oh, about just like he googled over the top action scenes and was like watching videos of some video game um and was like yeah let's pull it <laughs> you know like let's just do it uh and it looks exactly like the game uh but and and I do think there's nothing wrong with like stealing from the language of video games at this point and and Wick, mm-hmm. and Chad is a big like he's going to make the Ghost of Tsushima movie he plays a lot of video games and I think that's part of why John Wick has stood out from a lot of action, not just the kind of 87 productions uh, that Chad and David Light company that kind of founded this type of gunfu and and handheld combat in in movies. It's really revolutionized action over the last decade. Um, That's a stamp, but I do think the language of, of video games has infiltrated cinema in a pretty direct way over the last few years and, and John Wick has a lot to do with it why it stands out has to do with someone who plays video games and knows how to manipulate space and like what's fun to your point about like not just shooting someone dead but like shooting them eight times so they back up and go 
like uh, hands flailing around and then give them a kick and like a finishing move and a combo and like what is fun about stringing it all together comes intact especially in this three and four i feel like it's all about combinations now it's not just about keanu reeves rolling around it's about like if he grabs nunchucks and then throws someone through a window and then like strangles one guy and uses him as a shield then what can he grab and it's like it's it's oh now I'm, I'm totally blanking. Oh, it's a Rube Goldberg of of mm. mayhem at times, uh, especially in the beginning in the Osaka scene. I, I will say I'm going to be down on this movie, but there's so many parts of it that I really enjoy and I'll probably enjoy again in a vacuum. I can't imagine sitting down and watching John Wick Chapter 4 start to finish ever again, but I absolutely will watch um, Hiroyuki Sanada, who... I've been mm -hmm. seeing in, uh, I watched Royal Warriors, the Michelle Yao film in the Criterion Michelle Yao uh, collection recently, and I couldn't believe it was It's him. Yo, I can't resist. Name. It's Michelle, oh, Michelle Yao. Michelle Yao, sorry. Um, haven't been doing as much uh, award season and, work on that one as you have. But you've also <laughs> um, been pronouncing well lately. I, you know, you've been on a hot streak. Well, I'm, I'm going to slip sometime. Um, but yeah, two legends in a, like an old 80s cop movie, and Hiroyuki Sonata here is, is doing kind of what he's done in movies lately, where he's just like, I'm in Mortal Kombat for, to be the sage, and I, I'm uh, in Westworld to be the sage. Um, and here he's, he's the new Osaka Continental manager, just kicking ass uh, when, they, when the high table descends upon their hotel. I love that they're all defending hotels, by the way. Just so silly, like, don't mess with my hotel. Stay out of the lobby. I'm going to kick your ass with my sword. Um, that's really what the fights are about. It's like, get Hotels out of my hotel. Stop loitering. Uh, and, but he, he gets a moment, which is really cool. And Donnie Yen, again, gets like a bunch of fights that really kick ass. And it just goes I mean, on and on and on. He has a character that I think really, he has a character that I think really works. I How did you survive the marathon of this? This is not wear you down at all. This is just like fun from start to finish for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have exactly this experience, but in terms of like watching an action movie and realizing it as it was going on that it was good, this was closer to like a Mad Max for me, where it's no. like, this is the peak. This is the peak of the John Wick form. I don't want a John Wick 5. I know that it's been greenlit, and I know this movie's making like a shit ton of money. But this is like, I think by the time you get to the staircase scene at the end of the movie, you can really feel that this movie's either going places that uh, make it super smart and are very entertaining or have pushed the John Wick formula to its peak. I don't know how the Warriors in Paris is going to be topped by any other John Wick movie. Uh, in the future, where it's just like everybody in the city of Paris is out to get John Wick, and it ends where he has to fight his way up like 220 something stairs, and he gets to the top and he gets kicked down, and we see like the longest stair fall in stunt history, and then he has to fight his really, way back up and again. It's really funny, too. And it, I think the humor is there. He takes a number of really harsh hits. I think he falls out of a window a few stories down into a car and this, that it's really funny. Mm -hmm. I think the humor is intentional. Do you, do you think that they're yes. winking at the like super heroics involved with John Wick surviving all this crap? Oh yeah. I don't think any of this is really serious after uh, like maybe the first 15, 20 minutes, uh, which is fine because John Wick is a unserious concept. 
the less serious you take it, the more fun you're going to have because it is like a Jackie Chan prop fight, but now with mm. guns and dogs and all this, the cars, ridiculous car choreography. Actually, Jackie Chan had good car stunts too, so I don't want to say that's necessarily an improvement, but it's like the, the peak of this story, which is always just been held together as a momentum machine to watch Keanu Reeves execute this choreography and to watch the filmmaking team execute these fight scenes. I kind of like that this one's modular, and I do think what sort of saves it with its long runtime is for a while, he's just like, I'm going to kill everybody. And it takes like half the movie for us to realize and for him to realize that's not going to work and that he needs to end up having this duel to like finally get out. And then I think once we have the duel set forth, then we're like, it's very clear, but there is some side questing and whatnot. Uh, I just found that side questing pretty enjoyable. Scott Atkins in a fat suit. No, that's don't really dig. That's the moment that I was like, I'm bored. I'm actually. We got fat suits coming back just when we thought the whale was past us. (laughs) I mean, I know that's the that's the funniest one because it's yeah. Scott Atkins, great fight actor uh, in a big suit, still doing all his moves. I mean, it's pretty cool. Um, But again, it's like. I'm back in a club. I'm back fighting hand-to-hand, knocking knives out. It's the same thing over and over. Your Mad Max comparison is accurate in its relentlessness, but I'm not sure it's accurate in its inventiveness anymore. And not until John Wick fell downstairs uh, was I reawoken and and ready to, like, play. You went through the whole roundabout scene and was it like a dog gets hit by a car is fine and then tears the shit out of people and you're like, nah. No, that felt a bit too um, red notice for me. I'm like, oh, boy. oh interesting. Well, your first yeah, problem but... was seeing red notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, true. But I'm like, this is this is a violation of the Wick franchise. It, it was green screeny background. Like if you can't really do it around the Arc de Triomphe or wherever the fuck they were then don't do it. I don't, it didn't feel as cool as being out on the stairs uh, near the Sacre Coeur. Yeah, but there's like a point where there are no you know, doors on his car and he's in a constant Tokyo drift in a circle, encircling guys with three other cars and he just shoots them all by keeping a constant spin and dodging other cars going around the roundabout. Tired. I mean, I, you're making I, this sound fun, uh, Dave. You're selling me. It, it's it, I think it is a lot of fun. I, I okay, so I missed out on Parabellum when it came out because uh, there was a gun violence incident in America, and I was like, I don't want to do this. Uh, I, I think was, we don't have those anymore, and that would not that was, would not shade your experience seeing this movie. I was unfortunately locked in to John Wick Four because of promises for programming slash I was like watching the other three to lead up to it, so I was definitely gonna watch it. Uh, and then, you know, there were gun violence incidents in Colorado, and then as we're recording this today in Nashville, uh, so I'm, I'm not going to tell people that if that makes them uncomfortable to try this. I'm going to say that for me, this is so video gamey and so over the top. This is Bill Skarsgård and Ian McShane having a scowl off at one point with each other. This, this did not trigger anything real in my mind when that dog got hit by the car and it rolled off and was right back in the action i was like of course 
because why would you hurt the dog in a John Wick movie? That's what kicked this whole thing off. <laughs> like, I, I get it. Uh, so John Wick 4 worked for me. I think I had a lot of fun with it. And it seems like box office wise, it really worked. Patches. Oh. I'm going to ring the spoiler gong here. Oh, good. What do you think about John Wick 5? Uh, I think that, well, first off, if you haven't seen the movie and you just want to get spoiled. Me. Katie, is this okay? Yeah, it's fine. I, I mean, I, I, I waited 10 years to see John Wick. I might forget how this one ends by the time I see John They have John an old-fashioned Western duel, him and Donnie Yen, but they play a little trick, uh, and he finds a way to shoot Bill Skarsgård in the fucking head, um, or chest, I don't remember, but it seems like spiritually he gets shot in the head. It's very funny. Um, and finally, John Wick is free, but he did have to take a bullet to the chest in order to pull off that trick, so he dies. He's dead. John Wick dead. Um, they're definitely going to bring him back. So the movie and... just ends on saying, oh, hey, John Wick's dead. Like, is it like a cliffhanger? So, kind of so Keanu yeah. Reeves watches the sunrise in Paris victorious, falls over. Next scene, we're with two characters looking over the grave of John Wick and his wife. Wow. Okay. But of Do course, the same thing happened at the died? end of The we Dark Knight the... Rises. And then we yes. cut to France and he's there. Indeed. But John Wick already went to France, element. so he can't he can't come right. back in we'll France. Have to go back to New York. Well, the the character the name John Wick definitely had to die at this movie. Does the is the man dead? I guess is the question that John Wick Five is going to answer. It would by be very existing. easy to say no. I I will. I I believe they're going to take a break. I think. Oh, you what's think so? Interesting about the franchise after is it that made a billion dollars this weekend. Yes, because they have a few other options. They're going to do a television show called The Continental, Katie, about the hotel. Yeah, with Mel Remember Getson. how the hotels are important? They're doing that on Peacock later this year. And then the Anna de Armas is going to be yeah, John Yeah, they Wick have the spinoff. The ballerina. And they got someone great to do it. Oh, checks notes. Len Weissman of the Total Recall <laughs> mm -hmm. remake? What the fuck? Um... What I I truly do not understand. I I I popped off on on Polygon this week about just like there's so many action directors out there who are like uh, Chad Selecki, uh Chad Stelsky or whatever his name is. Uh, like stunt people, action forward, direct to video type people who could step up and make this ballerina movie. But you get Len Weissman. I just yeah, I that's weird because that. it's like you needed the name to get the movie made. Like the name is the franchise. Right. Uh, yeah, well, right now it's just called Ballerina, and I can't wait for 2024 when it's probably going to be called, like, Ballerina, a John Wick John story. Um, <laughs> yeah, a John Wick tale. A John Wick tale. Uh, do they a do... A John Wick... Oh, no, a Ballerina, a John Wick marker. Uh, uh, <laughs> interesting thing Don't you love the markers? ...about the Wick franchise is that started with a spec script by this guy, Derek Kolstad, who's been involved with the whole thing since the beginning, um, and he originally envisioned... John Wick as kind of like an old man action movie, almost like a Taken, I think before Taken had really done that stuff. And one, yeah, he wanted, wanted to Paul be like, Newman to be it, right? No, he I think it was like Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood and, and oh. like revenge, you know, avenging their dog, uh, which would make sense. Uh, you could picture that. Could you now do it with Keanu, though? Could you kind of go back and do an old man action movie with Keanu? He's getting up there. So I feel yeah. like they'll take a break and they'll kind of do old man wick at some point or like, I, I think that's the only way you, you can reinvigorate it. Uh, to your point, Dave, can you top 
the action scenes in chapter four. The only way I don't think you can, but you can do them again when when everyone forgot how cool they were and like they just mm. did too many movies in a row. Like it feels samey, but I could be excited about John Wick again, even though I didn't like this movie very much because they'll take a break. Len Weisman will not do it, and then <laughs> the, the the OG team will come back and we'll be like, yes, you you can do it. Yeah, just don't. I know it seems like what John Wick hasn't done a lot on a boat, but we know from Speed Two that's not the direction uh-huh. John Wick. Yeah, five Keanu needs to go. avoided it that time. He'll probably avoid it again. Can, no boats. That's it's boat. in the Keanu. Rider. Here's a question that I have, and maybe we talked about this when we talked about John Wick last week. Like, I feel like Keanu is such like a likable, easygoing screen presence that that has nothing to do with the John Wick character at all. And he's clearly very good at as John Wick as well. But like, do we want him to be free so he can do something different? I mean, I definitely would, he would do like something to see different? him uh, do Lake House 2 or... Yeah, I mean, the Bill and Ted sequel that was like, that came out in like peak pandemic and was inexplicably a great time. Like that felt like, you know, he's not going to make... But like a return of that version of the Keanu personality that I would like to see again. I mean, I found Matrix yeah. Resurrections to be that on some level. I do not understand the criticism against... I mean, this is why the variety isolating that bit about how many lines he has in this movie is a disgrace because Keanu is a good actor when plugged into the right vehicle. And I thought he was very good in matrix resurrections and had a lot to say. Um, and he could be very funny too. He was in toy story four. He was Duke. Kaboom. Oh my God. Duke Kaboom. That was fun. Iconic. Um, he's done <laughs> fun stuff. I, it's hard to imagine. I mean, will he do like a Netflix rom-com or something? He could do a, he needs to get back with Sandra Bullock. Do something yeah. funny. I'm up for whatever he wants to do. First of all, John Wick. But second is not of all, if way. he wants to, sque- if he wants to s- to squeeze in another John Wick before he's actually feeling too old to do it, I would also honor that uh, because it does sound like he's like absolutely essential to how these movies get made. Uh, is like the participation of Keanu and his ideas and his well, he's like uh, more in general ability to work. This is like the most in control of his career he's ever been. Right, like he was not as much of a creative partner on the matrix movies i assume no yeah i mean no i don't think so no, i think the matrix but, like, movies drove him toward martial arts and drove yeah him but like the like, like the wachowskis were the, the be all end all decision makers on those movies and keanu yeah. it sounds like is that on john wick well i think Good he's friend. more of the tom cruise it. where it's like I want to do X, like, let's get me doing this because I'm a physical performer who can actually remember the choreography and do all the stunts. Yeah, like, the reason John Wick is awesome and Bob Odenkirk's Nobody is interesting attempt is that Keanu has, like, the goods. He can do the training. It's not just, like, for two months you will be in the gym practicing pretending to fight. Like, I think he does this in his spare time. Um, he's the real <laughs> deal. So the question is, does he want to let it lapse or will he get sucked into it again? Because he, he loves this stuff. It seems like he loves it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll take a John wick five. I'll take a matrix five, but if he wants to settle down and do like comedies, I will take, I will take those as well. Well, he also has a comic book that he's been trying to adapt into a Netflix thing. Berserker. Are you guys familiar with <laughs> Katie, are you familiar with Keanu Reeves uh, Boom Studios? Uh, this sounds like some polygon this, uh, shit right here. This is some yeah. polygon shit. Berserker. Yeah, he plays... It's kind of the exact premise of the old guard. He's someone who's just like 
been alive since caveman times. He can't die. Um, so he mm. becomes an assassin and just starts ripping people apart. And he's like super strength. And I don't know. It seems like it could be fun. They're going to make like an animated series and a live action movie out of this for Netflix in theory. Um, and Keanu would do that. Berserker. Yeah, maybe that's it. Sounds like John Wick was anyway, more blood. Great. John Wick Even 4 in theaters now. Uh, I thought it was a good time. Patches didn't yeah. like it. Chances are it you've already cool. made your decision, listener. Uh, but yeah, if not, at least uh, wait till it comes out on streaming and check out Stair Fight. Uh, I think it, you'd really enjoy it. It'll be on Peacock eventually, I assume. In part of the John Wick collection. Mm. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. We will do a quarter quill eventually. Just making sure everyone knows that this crazy numbering system is for a reason. Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, Letterbox, Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightingintheworroom.com. Have we reviewed old John Wick movies on Fighting in the War Room? In the uh, we reviewed week? one uh, last week. Last week. <laughs> right. Well, listen to last <laughs> week's episode if you want to hear about John Wick. Ooh. Flashback. Flashback episode last week. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. Uh, you can also hear me on the Trial by Content podcast over on the Ringer Network. And you can email all of us f- at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. General questions or reviews so we don't talk about mobile games. Uh, that's what we're looking for there. Oh, you caught me in the middle of beyond. I always do this in the outro. Oh, no. uh. Next week, we'll talk about Dungeons and Dragons yeah. Honor Among Thieves. So go check it out. And uh, uh, if you play D&D, uh, keep, keep everything you've known from uh, your game sessions at the tip of your mind. There's a lot of Easter eggs and stuff. And don't tell me. Don't right, spoil Katie. me. Okay. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we uh, previewed Emmy season this week. Uh, I have top of everyone's mind, I know. Um, you can find me on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H until my blue check mark goes away and I get kicked out. I don't know. I haven't really looked that much into what's going to happen. Um, and for now, we're all on Twitter, F-I-T-W-R, uh, where you can uh, tell us about the Dungeons and Dragons Easter eggs you spotted, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Dungeons and Dragons, Otter Monk Thieves, and Dave's own curiosity, what's your favorite on-screen dungeon? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.